Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Uh, hello, Grace. Hello. It is there. my um, last day of being 29 years old. This is momentous. It's, it's also not momentous, but it, it is momentous. I think I think <laughs> profound. Put that on a bumper sticker <laughs> and smoke it. <laughs> well, I don't like when people freak women out by saying everything changes when you're 30 and be scared of 30, but it also feels like a big deal because we have been told that forever. Yeah, today my therapist was like, um, in my <laughs> a therapist- special emergency session. <laughs> yeah, my therapist goes it's okay over on this side. And I was like, what? She was like, it's okay over on this side. Like, and I was I like, didn't mention that. What? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I don't even know what you're talking about. What side am I going to? She's um, like, it's okay that you're terrified about being old. You're yeah. like, um, <laughs> it's okay that your biological clock is severely ticking now. When you, when are you going to give birth to your first one? But no, it is final day of 2029. I feel okay about it. I think I felt weirder about turning 27 really yeah yeah I kind of get that I definitely feel like I've had an existential crisis in the last year but I guess that's maybe just more to do with COVID yeah like everyone having those yeah I feel like I'm just you know realizing things <laughs> etc like Kylie Jenner today. Yes. <laughs> I feel like I have one brain cell why yeah. what's happened so yeah 30th birthday how does it feel to have a momentous birthday in lockdown uh boring <laughs> and it's also yeah. this is your covid anniversary you had covid yes it's my, my covid anniversary birthday last year mm-hmm. so, so i didn't come yeah london wasn't officially in lockdown yet but it basically was and i just had three friends around and grace couldn't come because she was sick in bed with covid with covid yeah um, and then this year obviously can't do anything either, which kind of sucks, but whatever. There's worse things going on in the world. I'm still going to dress up. I've got this bright, sparkly red dress that I'm going to put on. I'm putting lipstick on. And I'm just going to get yeah. really drunk in the house. I'm going to put on a Zoom blouse. Yes. <laughs> I know. We've been planning our Zoom outfits. So um, Yeah, and then we'll have a fucking rager. Once we're allowed out. Well, I think, yeah, I think we could have like multiple stages of 30th for you. Yeah. Like a six people allowed outside 30th and then an international travel 30th. Yeah, I think so. I'm really going to milk it this year. So when yeah. it's June and we're allowed overseas, it'll be my 30th birthday trip. Yeah. Christmas will be my 30th birthday Christmas, Christmas. <laughs> etc. But I wanted to tell you about something I read this week, mm-hmm. which I finished last night in sobs and sobs and floods of tears. <laughs> um, what was it? I finally read Just Kids. Oh by patty smith yes. which you 
love and which I'd my uh, friend Hannah loves it as well and I tried to read it before and just kind of picked it up and put it down mm-hmm and this time I ripped through. I started it on Sunday. It's now Wednesday. Yeah. I remember when I read it, I got in like a fevered state and mm. I just didn't stop reading it for like seven hours or whatever it was in one go. Because I just, yeah, once you hit the yeah the meat of it. And when, you know, when you are reading a really good book and then it starts to get to the end and you start slowing down and you feel really sad that it's about to end. <laughs> I was like, no. And then it's um, cute that you feel like that. Yeah, when I was reading it, I, when I got to the end, I was just sobbing hysterically last night in bed. Yeah. Um, so but- it's Patty Smith, the like singer. It's weird how this happens in America all the time. But she met the artist Robert Maplethorpe when they were just teenagers, and then they both had they had this like lovely love affair, and both went on to become really important artists, kind of separately, which is quite wild when you think about it yeah but i think it's just that scene it was robert from new york i think he was but patty moved to new york bumped into him at a bookshop they became really good friends started dating lived together but they were in that art world scene yeah so, and, and it was kind of obvious i think that was what would have drawn them to each other is that art and that passion and that work and then they were like moving in the same circles as Jimi Hendrix and um, Andy Warhol. Andy Warhol and Bob Dylan came to one of her early poetry readings. It's just mad when you, like, people always say that the heyday of New York was then in the 70s when it was, like, kind of grimy and all that art stuff was happening. And it's just so weird to think about now when everything seems so boring that there was just this art scene of, like, all these people now that everyone is so obsessed with and they were all just hanging out and being friends and it was all just super chill. Mm. But, like, that kind of makes me obsessed every time I think about it. Yeah, and how when she moved to New York, she moved there knowing the address of her friends and that's it because you don't have cell phones or anything. She just arrived on a bus, went to their house, and they'd moved house. So she was like, fuck, and then just slept on the streets and in the park for weeks. I was like, that's just beyond wild now. No one would do that. Like, no one would get on a bus and then not be able to find their friends so just sleep in a park for three weeks no resilience our generation no, I know. <laughs> me in london i know i'm just like i wish i just bumped into a crowd like that when i was a uni student but i guess we did we've got each other we did ultimately yeah no that's a great book yeah it was such a good book and then i also watched on the weekend Judas and the Black Messiah which was just nominated for a bunch of Oscars it's Daniel Kaluuya as Fred Hampton who was the chairman of the Illinois chapter of the Black Panther Party in Chicago in the 60s and at the time one of his main guys in the Black Panther Party was a secret FBI informant and when we were watching the movie I was just a bit I think we started it when I was just a little bit drunk or something. And so I didn't really realize, obviously I knew it was a true story, but I didn't realize how much of it was true. And they were playing bits from like real documentaries and stuff. I just need to, I need to watch it again, essentially. (laughs) Yeah, I just started it in this like kind of like a bit tipsy and wasn't paying attention and was just being really ADHD and, and it's the best film basically. So I want to rewatch it. It's, yeah really intense and it's really sad because William O'Neill who was the FBI informant did an interview about his time as a Black Panther and the night that documentary aired he killed himself because he felt so guilty because he felt so guilty party yeah and the FBI guy who he has to report to is Jesse Plemons Kirsten Dunst's husband from Fargo season two who is he's good at playing evil yeah, and he was he was kind of evil to neutral. Right, neutral his, evil. Neutral evil, but his other supervisors were really evil and really racist, and they got him into the office one day and were like, what would you do if your daughter brought home a black man kind of vibe to try and make him more evil? But yeah, it's a really, really good movie. It's 16 pounds on Amazon, so... What is with Amazon ramping up these? I'm so sick of it. I'm so sick of Jeff just having a foothold on every aspect of my life i know I and then i was a birthday card yesterday and the only place that could ship it quickly was amazon I yeah was like, god yeah so bought that for 16 pounds but worth supporting the arts and also we're just not going to the cinemas anymore so i was like it's just another friday night in the house like every friday night for the past three months so i'm gonna splurge and good to pay for content yeah. really is yeah 
Content like that. Content especially. like that, yeah. yeah. Fab, I watched Behind Her Eyes after we talked about it last week. Yes. That Netflix show. What did you think? I like loved it, but it, it just got so stupid. I know. <laughs> it got so stupid, but I usually I usually even move bodies. I was like, what's going on? This I usually so hate crazy. shows that get stupid and supernatural. And with this one I was I was like, I just completely believe this. The it twist? Just, yeah, it just felt I was like, oh I know. <laughs> Yeah, everyone has to watch it. But for some reason, usually supernatural things completely lose me and I find them just boring. But this one was just, I don't know, got me good. Got me good. Yeah. So two little tidbits, because I just always Google people when I'm watching stuff. The hot guy in it. He is hot, but he's not hot. I don't know how to explain it. But he's I hot don't physically, think... but he doesn't have hot energy. But maybe that's just his acting. Yeah. I don't think guys who look like that are hot the j because he looks like jamie dornan yeah essentially he's just that like tall white guy tall, with a bit of a beard yeah. yeah i don't find them hot but then when he shaves the beard and they go back to the younger scenes he's so hot yeah and he looks so hair. much younger yeah he is weirdly dating slash perhaps married to daisy ridley from star wars oh yeah yeah she's super cute right yeah, yeah. that's just a random little muffin couple <laughs> and then the the Housewife chick is Bono's daughter from U2. Really? <laughs> Very random. She's gorgeous. She's so beautiful. Yeah. And then because you got me on like a bit of a true crime tear, I watched nearly three seasons of this show called Unforgotten on Netflix over the weekend. Three seasons? Yeah, 2.5. Oh my God. How many episodes? I think there's only six per season. Okay. It's really, really, really good English true crime drama, but quite dark and depressing. I was like really hungover on... um. Saturday and I just sat like a log in bed and just watched it for like eight hours and went on bestia on my phone bought some stupid boots and then returned them at a loss yeah you sent me a photo leopard print boots and like a size too big they were just everything about them was so wrong and we mm. got there and I was just so upset and mm. yeah you bought those don't lie you bought those because we got a bad review <laughs> what happens guys yeah we got a bad review and grace bought the boots and i was like we're cancelling the podcast yes. <laughs> i still need to buy something nice to make myself feel better yeah don't buy something nice i just put in a fever state because i was feeling down and then yeah bought those weird shoes it's always leopard print like zach has always said that he knows i'm in a state of emergency of manicness when i come home with some sort of leopard print item mm. um i listened to on the topic of criticism um a <laughs> podcast episode called everyone's a critic on this american life that sounds really interesting it's so good so i've never really got into this american life because it i don't know like i know that it's technically good but it feels like a caricature of itself sometimes kind of like it's got like the jazz music and the ira glass voice and it all feels like a little bit on the nose so I don't listen to it all the time. But this episode is really great. And like this American Life episodes do, it kind of goes into like different case examples in regards to how we just live in this culture, which me and you've talked about before, where everyone is like encouraged to share every single opinion they have constantly online in regards to everything. And this idea of like Yelp culture, star ratings culture, responding to your Uber driver, responding to your Deliveroo guy responding to all of this stuff where everything's tri- like treated in like a rating system and mm. has made people feel quite detached and callous about writing quite obnoxious things that are obviously going straight to an actual individual person that they never say in person. That culture's kind of started happening online. So it opens with this really cute guy that wrote a biography of Meryl Streep and he Love. was reading his Amazon reviews and he was saying that his way of like dealing with people who wrote mean things or bad reviews was to go on their profile and look at all the other dumb shit that they said they liked. So there was someone who <laughs> said his book was boring and then she'd given like an Amazon $20 gift card, a five-star review and wrote perfect. And oh, then she'd written this glowing review about like a muffin, a cu- like a cupcake tower. And he's like, anyone who likes a cupcake tower, I'm going to rephrase that. I'm just going to say that if you like that, you're probably not going to like my book. <laughs> so cute i love that and then it also goes into a case about a girl who works for the cut she talks about how she goes to a church in harlem and how white tourists come and like take photos of it which is so weird so 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 weird and they actually leave 
Google reviews on the church as if it's a tourist location where it's just where she goes to church. And she said it's turned into this thing where she feels hyper-conscious because she can see the tourists there and knows they're going to go write reviews. And then she becomes obsessed with writing the reviews because it's reviewing her performance of how she prays as a churchgoer. And it was such a good example of the fact that we are just moving into this time where people are becoming more and more terrified of what the worst thing a person can say about them is in any aspect of the job that they're doing because there's this constant feedback loop and even just cancel culture as a whole and the way twitter works i just find the way twitter works we've talked about this off air before but people are going on there and they have a limited amount of characters so if they're going to have an opinion about anything it's going to be a really intense version of their actual probable opinion so if you Mm -hmm. sat down and talked to these people for example there was a girl basically having a go at aoc when she revealed that she'd been sexually abused and we talked about this on the podcast but basically she was having a go at her in this really kind of Inflammatory. inflammatory way and she's doing that because she wants a response Mm-hmm. Because you know that if you're inflammatory on Twitter, it's going to go viral. You're going to get that like semi amount of fame. Some people want that to be cancelled. Some people want people to think of them as problematic or um, having different opinions to everyone else. And it's just like even the way those platforms work is to make us think that our opinions matter. Yeah, this idea that every opinion that we think at all times, and again, we say this as people like get on a podcast and talk. Yeah. We write our opinions yeah. on things, so we're like aware of the irony. But there is definitely this thing now where you're encouraged to constantly say what you feel mm. about things all the time. Like you're constantly given the opportunity to review something. You're constantly given the opportunity to give feedback on something. And it's kind of created this culture where I think we feel like our thoughts and opinions on every single aspect and facet of our lives is worth airing publicly. Mm. And it just isn't. Anything you say about someone online, like this is what the Amazon guy said about the guy said about his book. He just said, any book review you leave on Amazon book review, it feels so detached because you feel so separated from it. But every single author goes and reads <laughs> yeah. their book reviews on Amazon. You know, like Raven Smith posted this episode of This American Life, basically saying it's really hard when you put something out there like that to just have someone flippantly say boring mm. or don't like this or hate this or this sucked with no context and no thing and they don't know you and they don't have any sort of expertise or whatever to be doing that. Yeah, so when we talked about this recently, it's a little bit different, I guess, but not really. But we were talking last week when we were going to talk about Sarah Everard and just didn't end up doing it because it just felt a bit much. And I was talking about just how there are just constant conversations. It's just so inescapable, these conversations about sexual assault and sexual harassment. Hayley, I can't remember her last name, but Hayley, who used to be at Man Repeller, she has a newsletter called Maybe Baby. And I'm signed up to that and I was skimming one of the emails I got and she was talking about sexual assault and sexual misconduct and like basically reframing these experiences she'd had when she was younger. And then I screenshot one of the, I wasn't planning on talking about this this episode, but I just brought it up because I screenshot something she wrote in there and I was like, this is just so true. And she wrote, when allegations of sexual misconduct go public, the discourse that follows is almost always one of debate. Not just about whether the accuser is telling the objective truth, but whether what happened counts as assault, whether the accused did it intentionally, or what level of punishment is deserved. I understand why these distinctions are important in court, but I wonder how much they serve us in the social sphere, at least to the extent that they replace broader systemic critiques. Sometimes I think we're so collectively committed to the penal system that we can't help imitate it ourselves, deciding who is guilty, who is innocent, bifurcating people into good and bad, making and amending the rules. But as we saw with some of the fallout of Me Too, trying to identify every shade of grey as diminishing returns. It spotlights individual instances, leaving out those who don't speak out or can't or would never think to. Hedging against every wrong moment or bad actor then is only the first step, like batting at individual flies in the kitchen before dealing with the rotten food that drew them there. I think that's Aja Baba, who's someone me and Izzy both really like and follow on Instagram, has talked about this a lot recently where she's basically said that like you don't need to belong to every single conversation not everyone needs to belong to every single conversation not mm. everyone needs to get involved in every single conversation the temptation to be actively engaged in every single dialogue and to look at it from all angles and to say like what about this thing or what about that thing is just not always necessary and i think that that's 
you know, we all got on the internet and it's just like this big crazy world that we don't have many tools to figure out. And I feel like this is the thing that we're realizing slowly is that this idea that everyone needs to be shouting at the top of their lungs about how they think and feel 24 hours all the time at each other is just not very helpful. (laughs) I'm even starting to realize that with writing, just Mm. not everything needs to be content, Mm -hmm. which is something that you learn as you get older. So with Sarah Everard, it's usually something we would cover. And last week I was just like, I feel too overwhelmed and I feel Mm -hmm. tired and I don't feel like I have anything that I want to say about this. And honestly, I want to completely switch off turn off the television I didn't go to the vigil and I didn't even consider going to the vigil which is completely the opposite of how I would usually act when something like this happens but I just felt exhausted and tired and sick of it and completely didn't want to see anything about it and every single time I got on Instagram there was more posting about it and more articles about it and it was all anyone could talk about and I was like I just feel really really overwhelmed Mm. and it was funny because it's the first time basically us choosing not to talk about it on the podcast to preserve our mental states and me choosing not to pitch stories about it and actively saying no to writing about it because it felt so intense and because it felt so kind of all-consuming is a choice that you can choose to just Mm. you can choose to not engage and you can choose to like not turn things into content as writers but you can also choose as people out there who have social media accounts to just not comment mm-hmm. if you're a woman <laughs> if you are yeah, a man yeah. in this case yeah you should be commenting and listening and learning but as women it's just i don't think we're the ones that need to be doing the learning and i think that's what feels so exhausting about it i was just like all i'm seeing is women writing op-eds all i'm seeing is women doing things to try and make ourselves safe and all the men who are, identify as nice guys who would never do this are still just sitting silently thinking that it's someone else that would do this which is just very frustrating exactly and we were kind of talking about it and we said okay if we want to every single woman who has seen this case which is like every single woman it, we've seen it happen dozens of times before whenever it happens we just get hit with this like sick thud in our stomach and me and izzy were saying we should talk about it. what can we talk about maybe we can talk about all the times we've been street harassed and then we we're like that's actually not a very pleasant way to spend our time right now while this is going on mm-hmm. in the world and like you say, it's something that women are so aware of, hyper aware of, that there's no more education that we need to have on it. If you feel better about reading what happened to her by talking to your friends about your experiences, that's incredible and you should 100% do that. If you don't want to engage with it at all because it makes you depressed and sad and feel dark and reminds you of awful things, that's like completely fine as well. There's no right way to go about it. Yeah, I think as... So when we had that conversation and when we jumped on Zoom, you were just like are you okay? You feel really wound up. Yeah. And I started crying and I was mm. like, oh, I just, this just feels too much. And then I told you about that. And then I was talking to another friend on the phone and I told her about that. And she was said the exact same thing. She was like, I'm completely switching off. And I think mm-hmm. that that's so common for so many women right now. And we kind of don't give that the space it needs. It's, it's kind of as if, if you switch off as a woman or if you don't publicly like, I don't know, I felt really guilty not going to that gathering on Saturday right. because I felt as though I should be standing in solidarity with all these other women. But it's like, there's also should be space held for people who don't have the energy to deal with this fight right now, which shouldn't even be our fight. A hundred percent. And especially in Australia as well, with what's going on in Australia, there's been all mm. of these protests and obviously all these massive conversations in Australia. And it's exactly the same thing. If you didn't go to a march, it doesn't mean that you don't care about this. If you don't have the bandwidth to engage in this conversation because it's hitting a little too close to home, which I'm sure it is for many, many people, that is so, so, so fine. There are enough women like fighting this fight to take up the space for you. And you are like the silent crowd that people are out there fighting for. And also, I think there's such an important distinction between women not engaging in this and, for example, us not engaging in Black Lives Matter. It's a completely different thing. It's basically us not... We are the men in that scenario. Yes, we are the men in that scenario. So it's like if you didn't feel like going to a Black Lives Matter march get the fuck out of bed and yeah. go to a Black Lives Matter march. Learn, yeah, because you didn't feel because it was reminding you of yeah, being racially yes, vilified. Yes, you didn't yeah. feel like it because you were feeling fucking lazy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So there's it, it like such a difference there. Like we're in this scenario, the people who can step back and let hopefully some goddamn men take the charge. I just think it's what I find just so kind of frustrating is 
I know the the nice guys narrative and the not all men thing has been explored so much, but it, then it's so funny when you actually take it down to the men in your life. Mm-hmm. If you literally look at them, they would be like, "But it isn't me," and, and it's it like, isn't my friends, and yes. it isn't, and it's like their friends, and it isn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I even said that to my boyfriend today. I literally said to him, "I wonder if you have ever, without your knowledge, obviously without your knowledge." made a girl feel uncomfortable that you wouldn't even have fathomed because mm-hmm. that would that's the majority of cases where mm-hmm. men literally wouldn't even have a clue which is the problem yes and education needs to be remedied at a, a young age and now and there needs to be a huge change like on the legislative level and bloody everywhere to educate boys and men about that but i was like you probably don't even know but you could have done something that literally affects a woman to this date every single day and you wouldn't know. It's also frustrating. I was saying to Zach, I felt really wound up. And the reason was I I said, you know, the Black Lives Matter falling thing happened in July and me and the other women I know, white women, Mm. as awful as it probably sounds to people of color, were like, oh my God, we just didn't know this was this bad. We didn't know we were doing all of these things accidentally that were making life so hard for non-white people we're gonna dive into this and we collectively were talking and buying books and reading and watching films and going behind the scenes and like mobilizing to do something about it Mm. and realizing that we didn't need to be thanked and realizing that we didn't need to be mollycoddled and realizing we didn't need to be handheld and kind of muddling through the awkwardness of it and i think it's really bothersome when you think about the inverse of that which is that like that doesn't appear to have happened on any sort of scale with men in these multiple like me too sarah everard in australia jill ma the stuff happening in parliament there doesn't seem to be this version of that where men are jumping together and reading simone de beauvoir and the beauty myth and like uh, all chatting and hanging out and talking it's like my boyfriend's school that he went to was uh the center of some allegations about some boys abusing some local girls and it's happened you know 10 years after he was there but he hadn't even heard of it and I was like, why are your friends not talking about this? Like, if yes. my school that I went to, that I graduated from, was embroiled in a racism row where it came out that a bunch of white girls had been racially vilifying a, a bunch of non-white girls and that they were doing an investigation into the school's racial culture, me and all my friends would be messing each other, talking about it, discussing what the teachers were like, discussing if there had been that problem when we were mm. there. Like, I just, that's the thing that is so frustrating. It's so frustrating. And you just think, like, I didn't expect a black person to come and hold my hand and explain to me that I was still a nice person and that it wasn't actually me and that it was probably some people I know and blah, blah, blah. Like you were saying with your boyfriend, like, I know you didn't know. I know you didn't know. And it's like, we never expected that mm. when we engage in the subject of race because we could take ourselves out of it. As you say, with the ra- racism thing, it was like, you are either racist or anti-racist. Yes. And if you are anti-racist, you are working every day to educate yourself. It is an ongoing journey of you actively thinking, actively knowing and actively putting in work. And it should be literally the exact same thing with men. It's like you are either part of the problem or you are part of the solution. Yeah. Part of the solution where you're actively doing stuff every single day. Because if whatever it is, it's some insane figure, like 90% of women have been sexually harassed. Yeah. But no one knows a man who mm-hmm. admits to doing that unless it's like a person that's been accused of rape. It just does not add up. It's literally the men sitting around us who are all going nah 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 it's those other guys yes and then those other guys are going nah 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 it's the other guys i was thinking today about this group of people i used to hang out with and i could count on my fingers and this is me knowing as an outsider three of them who had abused women mm-hmm. and these are people that i used to see all the time mm-hmm. and if i know that as an outsider what's going on behind closed doors and mm-hmm. they are the people they are literally the exact people who will be thinking they're the nice guys mm-hmm. it's beyond it's it's so crazy and and it's like that thing that we were saying with the racism thing where when you're defining racism by chasing down Ahmad Aubrey on the street and killing him indiscriminately obviously all white people are going to say, well, that's not me, so I can't be racist, right? It's like engaging Mm. with the messiness of the spectrum of, like, behaviours throughout your life where white life is seen as supreme, like white supremacy. Unpacking that, which sits through every single aspect of every single thing that you do, 
that is how you come to understand your role in it. And it's like if men are just defining misogyny against being kidnapped and murdered, Mm -hmm. then obviously you're not going to recognize yourself in it so you can just wipe your hands of it. The harder thing to do is engage with every single little behavior all day, every day that you either wittingly but usually unwittingly engage in that contributes to this culture. I get why people don't want to do it because it's not very comfortable and it's not very fun. But as we saw during the Black Lives Matter protest, like a lot of us came to the realization that that didn't matter. But even the way during Me Too, every woman I know reevaluated their sexual experiences. Mm-hmm. Most of them realized that they'd had sexual experiences that wouldn't be consensual. But were men doing that? Were men looking mm-hmm. back and yeah. thinking she might have been too drunk? Mm-hmm. And she was my junior. I was her boss. Yes, or, like, there was an age gap. Yeah, a huge or, age yeah. gap. There was a power imbalance. Absolutely not. And I think the other thing that has been making me feel conflicted about the Sierra case is obviously what happened to her is incredibly heartbreaking and tragic and traumatic, but it's hard again to see a white blonde woman be the face of across the world. Like obviously in London, we live here and it's really scary that this happened down the road, but another white blonde woman being the face of this movement again when there are so 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 many black women whose cases don't even get picked up and also the fact that it's really tragic and it's really scary and it does kind of feel like it could be any of us because all of us walk around at 10 p.m all of us have our phones on us when we walk and we feel safe because we're on a brightly lit street so it kind of pierced through all of those things where you can't even say it was two in the morning or it was Mm -hmm. four in the morning or she was in an alleyway like there's Mm -hmm. there's nothing that you can use to lean on it plays into that thing that we're taught since we were kids that how we're going to be abused is it's going to be a scary stranger and it's Mm. going to be dark and it's going to be someone who attacks us Mm -hmm. and that's just not the reality in 90% of cases and I know that this is tragic I'm not saying it's not but I'm just saying that that thing went around this week where there was five cases of young black men and women who have been reported missing who were younger than Sarah in the same period and it hasn't even got like basic Yeah, exactly. Um, There were two girls, two black girls who were found um, dead in a park that I actually drove past the other day and the police took selfies when they found their bodies. And that's just not reported on at all. There's also just so many in COVID. We've been talking about the domestic abuse. There will be so, so, so many Mm -hmm. countless amounts of women. two a week in the UK. Yeah, who are dying at the hands of their partners right now. And, And I think what is just frustrating about this is it just shows that that's still all we're ready to comprehend. It's all we're ready to get outraged about is that is still like the most extreme of murders, the most extreme of violence against women where it's a stranger and it's brutal and it's someone taking her off the street. It's also like incredibly, incredibly rare. And I think yes, that, that's the thing. Yeah. It just, it's like 90% of times it's someone you know. Yes. And that, like you say, it's like the Jill Ma case. Everyone, if they have the opportunity, should watch Tom Ma who is Jill Ma's husband being interviewed by Louise Milligan. And if you don't know about Jill Ma's yeah. case, it's, it's like extremely similar, um, similar yeah. to Sarah's in Melbourne. Yeah, about maybe 10 years yeah. ago. He basically says, because she was a feminist and he's a feminist and he's just amazing. Like, you'll break your heart watching him. And he just says, you know, she would have said if she was alive now, don't let my case deflect from the fact that these cases are incredibly rare and that sexual assault is prevalent among people being abused by people that they know and that's what we should be discussing. Like, yes. like the outweighed media coverage of these cases is very important because it mobilizes people and gets people caring and talking about it. But the fact that these cases are so rare, I think, can give certain men or certain people when discussing this the feeling that, yes, this is horrible, but It happens once every 10 years, you know what I mean? Or something where it then feels detached from the actual conversation we should be having. I actually have this screenshot on my phone and this is from Florence Given's book. And it says, one of the nice guys, huh? Rape culture spins the narrative that nice guys don't rape, but they do. In fact, 90% of all rape perpetrators are already known to the victim. These monsters, we imagine, and spend our entire lives being taught to avoid in the streets and in dark alleyways are actually already in our lives. They have sisters, mothers, friends, careers, and families. You might even share a bed with them. Yeah, I think that's so important. And with the Grace Tame, amazing, amazing Grace Tame stuff, in her speech the National Press Gallery, she was talking about how to prevent like childhood sexual abuse because she was abused when she was uh, 15 by a high school teacher. And she was saying, you know, there are like five steps in the process of grooming 
that are really helpful for children to know. <laughs> like getting that awareness early on is really helpful. And it's so funny when we talk about children, I think you think, oh, you don't want to like bog kids down with this fear about people in their lives. But we see it as essential to make kids really scared of strangers. And we tell them to don't run and go to a safe house or don't yeah. talk to any strangers or whatever. So we are willing to instill a certain amount of fear and awareness in them to protect them about something that's less likely to happen. Mm. But we don't teach kids about spotting the early signs of grooming, which is like what's much more likely to actually happen to them. This is the thing with not having women in power and not having women making laws and legislation is that you have kind of like nonsensical laws or nonsensical education that is based on how you see the world if it doesn't happen to you. If you're a man and you're just walking around, the Sarah Everard case is to you what rape looks like. Yes. You know, so that's what you legislate against. Yes. The legislation isn't helpful. Like, there's all this new legislation they're going to pass through in the UK now. About like bright lights on the street. About putting lights yeah, on CCTV. the street. It's it, like, fuck. It doesn't wow. matter. Like, yeah. the, it's illegal to do everything that that guy did. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> it, yeah. It, like, it doesn't matter. The pro- and the problem is, like, enforce the laws that you have. Like, that's the issue. Mm. The issue is that so few rape cases actually get prosecuted. Don't yeah. worry about making new laws. Yeah. On to something happier. Yay. <laughs> yay. <laughs> yes, yay. Elliot Page's Time cover story. This is the first kind of big feature he's done since coming out as trans, the artist formerly known as Ellen Page. And it's a really great profile. It kind of highlighted, which I hadn't thought that much before, about how you kind of tend to see less trans male mm. coverage. And he was kind of saying that it's like this double-edged sword when you're a trans man because you tend to be seen as less quote-unquote visible in the culture, which can be a good thing because maybe you can feel like you're like prejudiced against less, but it can also be a bad thing because like you see less role models and you see less kind of visibility, which can make it harder to see people that can inspire you or help you. I found that really interesting as well. And I kind of thought about it before, but I hadn't thought about it in a sense of visibility-wise for young trans men growing up I just found it such a beautiful piece and it made me want to cry when Time wrote that basically as soon as he came out as trans he said that he was expecting to get a lot of support and a lot of hate and he said that that happened but that the support was kind of overwhelming he got 400,000 new Instagram followers that day alone and casting directors reached out to his manager saying it would be an honor to cast him in their next big movie that day. And that just made me tear up because I was mm. like, that's just so brilliant. Even Netflix that day got in touch and said that they were updating the credits on The Umbrella Academy, which is the show that he's on. Instead of Alan Page, like as soon as the show ends, the first credits are Elliot Page. And I was mm. just like, this is just so great. And it shows how far that the industry's come at least totally and i didn't realize he was such a legend like it went through all this stuff he'd done so he did a tuesdays in viceland series called gaycation in 2014 which basically looked at lgbtq plus youth around america and it included a video of him grilling ted cruz about how so good. ted cruz promotes queer discrimination which i need to watch and that last year he donated three hundred fifty thousand dollars of his own money to produce a documentary shedding light on how the environmental crisis is affecting communities of color in nova scotia which i think is in canada <laughs> <laughs> which is somewhere which yeah is in actually North and i love um in the timepiece how alia shawcat mm. Is a close queen. is a close friend, and yeah, I was talking about him before he'd transitioned and his relationship with clothes and with having to dress up for the red carpet, and because basically in the timepiece he says that when he since he was really really young he wanted to dress like a boy, he wanted to cut all his hair off, and that just felt natural to him. But he got his first role age ten, and straight away had to put on a wig, and then it was a recurring role, so he had to grow his hair out and had to dress feminine, and was. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. 
And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Alia was basically like, wow, you get sent all these beautiful clothes. And he was just like, it just, it just doesn't feel like me. I just don't want to wear any of them. I also loved how he talked about how, like, getting top surgery or transitioning, as I think it can be viewed a lot of the time by cis people, that it's not just this before and after thing where you feel fine. Like, he was saying that the body dysmorphia continues, that the, like, discomfort continues. It's, like, this ongoing process. It's not, like, a moment of arrival. It's this Mm. ongoing thing. But obviously, coming out has really changed his life. But I kind of liked how he talked about that because I think we can sometimes have, like, a very simplified view of what the transitioning process looks like which is probably not helpful for trans people who are experiencing yeah. and maybe think like oh am i doing it wrong because i don't suddenly 100 percent feel exactly right and again even when i was reading that piece he was just like saying that still trans people are debated oh yeah like, I'm, I like which I, which I know they are i know that they're mm. debated every day but i was like us thinking about how people's sexual assault allegations are debated and mm-hmm. how people have all these opinions online about amazon books and blah blah it's like stop why don't we just blanket rule stop debating people's existence or this idea that yeah it's just this idea that everyone needs to weigh in on something yeah. constantly 24 7 like it's that just... has nothing to do with them and that they know nothing about. It's like yeah. so frustrating. Well, there was this book last year that came out that was about how there's reportedly been this rise in doctors in America exploiting the inclusion of trans people in cultural conversations to their own monetary gain by basically like fully expanding the rules of what constitutes someone having like gender dysmorphia is to try and encourage parents to give their very young children gender reassignment surgery that costs like two hundred or three hundred thousand dollars. But like that was taken and then ran with by TERFs or ran with by other people and whatever and like it's a very complicated issue. I remember trying to read about it and then got to a point where I was just like you can just bow out of this one. Like, you can just assume that, like, scientists and lawmakers and people who are much more equipped than you are going to, like, talk about this and deal with this and work on this. Mm-hmm. And you can just focus on, like, supporting trans people in the ways that you can in your life and not look at everything else. You know what I mean? Like, I just think there's this thing now that everyone feels the need to engage in the, like, many tiny, mini little facets, which is what J.K. Rowling obviously does. Yes. And it's just so gross and unnecessary sometimes a spade is just a spade and like you should just not be transphobic (laughs) yes 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 okay grammys i hate the grammys yes moral reasons yes harry styles looked great yeah harry can't avoid it he's like the kardashians you just can't avoid it when he wears something i know so to be honest his red carpet outfit i wasn't that into i didn't like it very much he wore a he wore a... Is this what he was wearing when he stood next to Lizzo? Yes. Yeah. Didn't like it. Give or take. Yes. Brown corduroy pants, some very cute yellow Gucci boots, which I loved, heeled boots, which I loved. But the brown pants, the kind of tartan jacket, and he wore a vest. I love him in a... I love the man in a vest. You're like, I love the vest. I love the pants. <laughs> I love the boots. I love the jacket. I love the boa. I hated the look. <laughs> I hated the look. I don't know. It just felt a bit... It just felt... Messy. Messy. And I'm absolutely obsessed with... We're both absolutely obsessed with Harry Styles' stylist. Harry, Please don't hate us. Harry Lambert. Lambert. He's the best. He dresses Emma Corrin, who just is the most chicest woman alive. I can't believe her. She looks so chic. She, went, she got a shirt to match my mom. I know. I saw that. <laughs> she was picked of the day after the Golden God for walking from Gales, which is the best chain coffee store in the entire universe, holding a Gales cup, wearing a baggy grey hoodie black pants the loafers that both of us own and gray socks and i was like god she's so chic and then i just realized she's just very small she's hot she's hot yeah anyway i didn't like harry styles first (laughs) look 
but loves the love how could we not love the love black the leather and... look and it was even better because he was singing watermelon sugar which is his like californian summer anthem uh-huh. and in the music video for that he's wearing californians <laughs> and literally okay, he's so a he... copywriter so he, filmed... <laughs> he filmed the music video on the beach in malibu and it's super bright and summery and he's dancing around with all these girls and he's wearing like hippie colors and so it was really cool to see him dress it up and get sexy and rock and roll olivia wilde yes put up paul mccartney yeah is that like well known i thought i was the only one that spotted that go on is that like covered as like a story sort of yeah right yeah she put him eating a watermelon and i was like you think you're being sly but you're not yeah, really cute. She also, She's also putting up sexy pics of herself. Have you noticed that? Yeah. Like old pictures of herself looking hot. Yeah. Like we get it, you're fucking Harry Styles. I know. No, because <laughs> what I was thinking as well is they would have been in this little bubble where they have been filming this movie together and they would feel very – She she's his boss, so it would kind of feel very on par. And they are – like they are. She's incredible. But then seeing him go on the red carpet and then go on stage and perform – in that outfit and see the entire world lose their fucking minds over him, you would just be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm hot whoa. too. Yeah, yeah, you would just, you, would, you, you know, you would literally freak out. I was even thinking that, like, with Anwar Hadid dating Dua Lipa, and she's just so fucking hot, like, insanely mm. hot. I just I wrote in our notes, Dua Lipa is so hot. I can't, the I can't believe it. She's, like, the hottest. Yeah, and she's us coming full circle. <laughs> Like and our boyfriends like Jewel Leap is hot. We're like, why don't you just get a fucking towel? Yes. <laughs> yeah. No, um, and she was on stage performing. And I was like, I can't imagine that being my partner. Like, I can't imagine dating Harry Styles and being at home in my track pants and seeing him on stage like that. I would just absolutely lose my mind. I still can't quite get my head around Olivia Wilde and Harry Styles as a couple. Like, something's just not quite computing there. I'm aware that it is happening. I'm just <laughs> yeah, not. Yeah, anyway. Yeah. So... Elton John said he'd punch someone if Phoebe Bridges lost, if she didn't win any Grammys, and then she lost in all her categories. Phoebe Bridges is very cool. Yeah, and then but she But I did... don't listen to her music. I just am aware that she's very cool and I'll probably like it. I just don't. Yeah, I've listened to it like once and I liked it, but I haven't. Yeah, she's so cool. Yeah. But then she put up a funny thing being like, me with all my Grammys and was like pretending to hold them. And then Blue Ivy won a Grammy. I know, I know. It kind of makes sense. It's stupid, but it kind of makes sense because they bloody credited her as a writer on one of the songs because she has a line in it. That's what I mean. It's just like it makes sense. It's just so stupid. So stupid. And I'm just like, okay, so Beyonce didn't get the Grammy for Lemonade just to check, but Blue Ivy Carter has a Grammy. Yes. You know? Then the Oscars nominations came out. I didn't really follow it too closely, but I did see that they're doing PR damage control because. For the first time ever in Oscars history, two women were nominated for Best Director, Chloe Zhao and Emerald Fennell. Chloe Zhao for Nomadland and Emerald Fennell. Why am I Are you stuttering okay? so much? <laughs> the, 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 the. Emerald Fennell for Promising Young Woman. Um, both really great films, but also it's just like so wild the amount of women who have been left out of those categories mm. in previous years because mm-hmm. they didn't want to nominate. They they used to notoriously not nominate anyone whose first feature-length directorial debut yes. it was. So uh, Olivia Wilde, didn't get one for books, not sure. I guess probably makes sense. But Greta Gerwig didn't get one for Little Women, like oh, for Lady Bird. For, for yeah. Lady Bird, she that's was... madness. That really like for Emerald Fennell. Like no offense to get nominated for Promising Young Woman, and Greta Gerwig didn't for Lady Bird is like quite obscene. Yes, like, there's just so, there'll just yeah. be so 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 many women who missed out, and also if they nominated one woman, they wouldn't nominate another. So it's like it's you guys are naughty. Like, I remember having this moment. I don't know if you ever had this. I remember being in uni at the uni bar and we were watching a band play and I just had this moment where my brain exploded and I was like imagine if as many men as you've seen direct films be stand-up comedians be musicians be authors of literature be whatever like everything imagine if they were all women I was like you would just feel like the world was your oyster Mm. you know I was just thinking about how like for men the just you would just feel like yeah I can go and write a movie and get it made and get like 20 million dollars like why wouldn't i like everyone else who does that looks exactly like me yeah white men you know yeah i just ha- remember having this epiphany where i just thought like felt so sad i just thought like for me seeing like greta gerwig emerald Fennell, 
Chloe Zhao, Michaela Cole, Fibula Bridge, Amy Schumer, Lena Dunham, like whatever, uh, the Broad City Girls, it's like the first time in my whole life that I've been like, oh, you could do that. Mm. You could actually write something that's funny and then get it made and like be given a budget and like do that. Like you just, you, people seeing this now, it will create in 20 years mm-hmm. a whole generation of female filmmakers. Yes. And then that's us speaking as white women. I was interviewing this incredible British Indian Nigerian designer called Priya Alawalia a few weeks ago. And she is so incredible with representation, but she was just like, I never, ever, 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 ever saw a fashion designer that looked like me. Mm-hmm. Ever. So mm-hmm. I just never thought it would happen for me this whole time. It's just so, so wild. If you can see it, you can be it. Yeah. Huh, Archie? You can be it. <laughs> She's Sorry. such a nerd. I know. I know. Okay, final tidbits. Actually, J-Lo and A-Rod apparently broke up, but apparently are... Uh, also working <laughs> on it now but also that relationship does seem doomed of course of course of course he's dming a girl from southern charm, southern charm. <laughs> that is like among the naughtiest things a person can do i know quickly you put this in no one in the royal family spoken to megan markle yet no one in the royal uh, they kate middleton will never talk to never her speak again. to her again that's I just, that's the I thing as i was like when i was thinking about this yesterday because when I saw no one had talked to her, I was like, you guys are assholes. And then I thought, imagine if. Imagine. Imagine. I know that that, I know. Also, that, if that she's firm... got the wrong end of the stick with the prince thing, which would be hilarious. Like, yes. if it's literally fine and not a problem and she's accused the whole family of like. The the prince title thing. Yeah. 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 If they if she's basically said, well, I'm not going to put words in your mouth, Oprah, but. Yes, it's because they're racist. Yes. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like yeah, if yeah. that's not, if she's just yeah. got the wrong end of the stick there. Well, heaps of people have reported that she's got the wrong end of the stick. Y- yeah, I think Camilla Long is this TV reviewer for the Times. I'm like obsessed with, she's so funny. And her review of the Harry and Meghan thing was like, Harry is the real villain in this because it just seems as if he has just not communicated like a lot of essential information to Meghan that could have like smoothed so much of this stuff over yeah and what's so sad about this whole thing is harry and his family will be awkward for a few like it will be awkward it will Mm. be weird but they are family and they will work it out yeah with megan they probably will never ever properly work it out with her because for her to go on tv and i get that she was just fucking over them not sticking up for her Mm -hmm. and it's horrible Mm. and like she should she had every right to talk about everything but just for example like the kate middleton crying thing that's the future queen and she's probably just never going to talk to you again and then and it's like that's harry's family who he'll probably work it out with but who will never ever accept you now and it's just it's just it's just it's really sad it's so sad sad. that it came to this exactly it's like it's a quite a modern family drama for the royals to be having truly it is like with the kate milton thing even i feel like people had like a very visceral reaction to that and then i was just thinking imagine if the worst thing you'd ever done to someone i'm not saying that that is the worst thing kate middleton's ever done but like she just had a baby Imagine if you're like emotional and hormonal and you just did something really, really shit and it was not fair and it was totally wrong. Everyone has done that before. The idea of that being aired without context on national television when you, as part of your job, cannot talk and cannot do interviews and cannot, like, it is a little unfair. It's unfair, but it... it I understand it, why yeah, from her yeah, perspective. Exactly. It's, like, just it's, like, it's like so annoying because if it's the institution's fault. Mm-hmm. It's like not Megan's fault for talking about it. It's not Kate's fault yeah. for whatever. It's the institution's fault for not shutting down those rumours. And just shows how like misogyny, like I was talking about Wallace Simpson last week and I finished that book now. And the only really parallel with Harry and Meghan is how she was just blamed for this decision that he made. Hmm. And how all the behind the scenes stuff shows that he just wanted to make the decision and actually had before he even met her, was like fed up with the royal system didn't want to be a part of it and then she was just absolutely hated and vilified for like pulling him away from the royal family and i feel like that's probably the only similarity is that megan has been like blamed for this move which obviously harry was probably much more instrumental in making yeah so misogyny yes okay final really quick thing to end on because the bachelor USA has pulled out of the bag again. They always have the most chaotic, wild seasons. If you guys will remember, I got super obsessed with Hannah Brown, who was the Bachelorette USA a couple of years ago. She had sex with a finalist four times in a windmill on one night. (laughs) 
and then send him our home. favorite tidbit. Yes, it just the absolute best thing ever. And she, then he became the bachelor. Oh my god! But this new bachelor and Clarence, like it's just it's so and superior to Australian. The bachelor. I mean, we did have the honey badger, <laughs> but this. So this bachelor, Matt James, he's the first black bachelor ever, which is just wild in itself because the bachelor has been going for like thousands of years. 24 seasons, I think. Yes. And also he's so random because usually they pick an old contestant. And as a tidbit, this guy is just randomly Tyler Cameron from Hannah Brown's season Mm -hmm. who ended up dating Gigi Hadid's Mm -hmm. flatmate. (laughs) That is so random. Like, would you not pick Dale? Would you not like go in with a bang and pick Dale? Yeah. Like yeah, yeah yeah the world would be yeah so this is just like a random flatmate but he brought, yeah. like, I don't know he has like random flatmate energy yes <laughs> he's hot but whatever yeah. and then basically all this drama came out when they were in the finals because one of the girls who was rumored to be a finalist Rachel Kirkconnell all these basically racist photos had come out about her when she was in uni and she went to a party on a plantation or a plantation themed party. It was on a plantation, but the theme of it, I don't know what it is, but you dressed in like 18th century kind of dresses. So So it wasn't directly, but it's still really like Yeah, and then she also dressed as an American Indian in another photo. Um, And yeah, she was rumored to be a finalist at the time. So there was like all of this huge backlash and she did a massive apology on Instagram. And the Bachelor host, Chris Harrison, who's been there since the beginning, was stood down because he stuck up for her. It was really awkward and lots of drama. Um, There's lots of Karens being like, I'm never watching it again if my beloved Chris isn't on there. Oh, God, I know. (laughs) And I also was just like, this shows how important it is to have diversity on these shows Mm -hmm. because millions and millions and millions of Americans who would not have engaged in Black Lives Matter, who would not have engaged in anything that's been going on, will now be seeing firsthand where the world is at with racism and where the conversations are. And I think that that was really important. And Rachel actually did a really great statement. I don't know who wrote it, but... She did a great statement about how she's learning and growing and as and, and like apologized profusely and just was completely unaware, which isn't an excuse and blah blah blah. But basically then it just came out, the final just aired, and he bloody picked her before all this happened. So he'd picked her, she had won, he hadn't proposed, but they were in a full on relationship. So they were like dating when all these they things were dating came out. when God. this came out and he dumped her because of it. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. What and was the reunion? So fully there was a reunion. Loved, and there was a reunion and they had to have this um, full out conversation about it on air, which I just think is... It's brilliant that that so conversation brilliant. was had. So yeah. brilliant that the conversation was had. He basically said, if you didn't know that that was wrong, you're not going to be able to understand me as a black man in America. You need to learn a lot. I'm giving you space for this learning. I'm giving you space for this growth. And she was really great. And she's obviously been putting work in and obviously been learning. So maybe there's a reunion at some point, but I just found that a really great piece of television because people would have learned so much from it. Yeah. That's good old America. <laughs> good Always, old The like, Bachelor, basically. Yeah, good old The Bachelor. Yeah. I think it's obviously completely up to him, but I feel like it's kind of good that he did that. No, 100%. In that the... he broke up with her. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think 100%. it's really good that he said a part of being in a relationship is us having basic understandings yes. about, like, what isn't isn't appropriate and, like, our shared history. Values as well. The thing in the South about, like, these weird traditions that, like, harken back to and romanticize the era of slavery are, like, really fucking weird and troubling. Ryan Reynolds and Blake Lively got married on a plantation. Yeah, that's nuts. At a plantation wedding. And they've, like, and they've apologized, like, not... like, 50 times. Yeah. And I'm like, that wasn't that long ago. No, like... and I'm also, like... <laughs> For us who aren't from America, we can excuse them far easier than if you grew up in America. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like us, we're like, oh, I didn't really know the history of plantations until a few years ago. So maybe yes. they didn't. And then I'm like, no, they fucking grew up in America. There's yeah. no excuse to go and get married on a plantation, you freak. Yeah, you learn about the Civil War. Yes. Like you understand the history you of understand. slavery in your yeah. country. Uh, yeah, I know. It's fucking bizarre. It's a wild old country. Is something I just think all the time. The most intense sides of like human nature just come out there. I feel like everywhere mm-hmm. else, everything just plays out on the seventy percent scale. In America, everything's America's like hundred and fifty percent. America's Twitter. Um, okay, bye, bye, bye. <laughs> <laughs>
A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.